With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student-athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies lacrosse, from business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. Eager ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. Hear ye, hear ye. It's time for the Sports King Show, live on Sports 1061. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 106.1. And good morning, Monday morning, folks. Welcome back. Another day without sports, but we're one step closer. And we hope it's sooner rather than later. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And Facebook Live also watching us, Sports 106.1. Folks, this morning alone, London, England has checked in. South Carolina has checked in. Tampa Bay, Florida. Well, actually, not Tampa Bay. Uh, Hudson, Florida. But he thinks he's a Tampa Bay fan. He says he's a Tampa Bay fan. Mark Leato is trying to get some Tom Brady tickets down there. Good luck with that. Michael Daly, hello. Uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, on Facebook Live, Ricky Cunningham, asking me if I've tried crawfish. I have not. Have any of you tried crawfish? It's, it sounds interesting. He's talking about pinch the tail, duck the heads, boil it with potatoes. Get me hungry this morning. And uh, folks saying they're going to some uh, various restaurants this morning, starting to get back in the flow a little bit at a time. And that's good to hear. Carlton Raymond, hello, good morning. And good morning, everyone uh, listening from all over the country. We can't thank you enough. Uh, a sad note I saw this morning getting up, uh, Jerry Stiller and Ben will hopefully have a cut here after a while, but Jerry Stiller, 92 years of age, of course, uh, from Seinfeld fame. And who doesn't love Jerry Stiller? I mean, they say he's only on for like five seasons, but man, were they memorable. He's a scene stealer, of course, Festivus for the rest of us. And uh, all the different scenes he was in, uh, the man's ear. I mean, he had so many great, great uh, scenes that you can't forget Jerry Stiller, of course, King of Queens as well. But I I thought the Seinfeld episode and putting him in there had he been there from the start just think of all the comedy we would have had beyond the five years he was on that show just magnificent in terms of his performance so sad news there uh, i read uh, some things uh, over the weekend president mark emmerich from the ncaa made a statement and they say his statement even though he's a president of the ncaa should matter but evidently it's going to be left up it looks like to the universities to decide But Mark Emmerich, the NCAA president, in regards to football, said, if there are no students on campus, there will be no student athletes on campus. So come on, Mark, what's going on here? Uh, Paul Feinbaum, the outstanding broadcaster, of course, ESPN analyst, said he has as much say as Bozo the Clown. Don't know about that. But nonetheless, Mark Emmerich saying no students, no student athletes. Folks, we got to get college football back, even if it's in a lesser way than we're accustomed to. 
even if the fans are spread out, just to have college football. And many of you around the country have checked in this morning say, I'm going to this restaurant, I'm going here, I'm going there, I'm getting my hair cut in certain places. And uh, you know what? My hair is growing and starting to look like John Rambo, at least from a hair standpoint. It's really uh, getting a little crazy on the haircut aspect. But some places around the country are opening safely, and we're hopeful for that more and more every day. Another day without sports, but uh, it is getting closer. Of course, NASCAR will be back on the 17th, and that's right around the corner here. Of course, next weekend we'll be able to see NASCAR. At, it won't be with fans, but we'll see NASCAR nonetheless. I want to tell you, and this weekend, watching sports, and I've got to tell you this. I just heard Big Al on the Sports Phone Show with the legendary broadcaster, Big Al Coleman. He was talking about how he's worried about the UFC fighters, their health with CTE and brain injuries 15 years, 10 years down the road. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to go on record. Dana White has done a masterful job with the UFC. I'm the first to say that. An amazing job. And I'm watching the UFC this past Saturday night. And there were some great bouts. There's no question about it. Uh, and I'll go through them. Uh, some of the highlights here. Uh, Francis Nagano, uh, heavyweight, 15-3. Uh, and three. He improved two over uh, Gerazino. Rosa struck 10-1. and one. Then there was the bantamweight fight with the co-main event. Henry Cejudo, 16-2, and two, improved. and said he retired after that. Defeated Dominic, uh, Dominic Cruz. Uh, the dominator was dominated in this fight. Round two, 458 was the knockout there. The heavyweight battle between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethy. You remember the name Justin Gaethy, folks, in the UFC. I'm here to tell you, this guy doesn't play. Recess is over when this guy steps in the ring. He hit Tony Ferguson with everything but the kitchen sink and then the kitchen sink. I have never seen a man take the beating that Tony Ferguson took and stayed on his feet. Literally, he was pummeled into submission. They stopped at round five, the last round at 339. His face was a bloody mess. It was absolutely uh, to the point where I had it almost turn away. The beating this man was taking, and the referee didn't step in and stop it. He was still coming at him. I mean, a warrior's mentality. But as Big Al said so succinctly this morning on Sports Phone, I'm wondering about these guys from a long-term health standpoint. Does Dana White or does anybody feel that, like I do, I can still see the punches. I can still see the battering. I can still see all the things that's going on there in terms of the physicality. But let the guys wear headgear. And I know you're saying, well, that would take away from the blood of the sport, the blood aspect, the, the brutality of the sport. But you can still knock somebody out with headgear. But you protect their brain to an extent with headgear. And that's all I'm saying. As Big Al said it, I mean, these guys want to be able to play with their kids 10 years from now, I mean, it's great that they go out in a gladiator sport and put it on the line for us for whatever money they're making. However, I think a headgear situation to me wouldn't diminish the sport. I can still see the guys getting their faces, their jaws broken, their noses broken. All that can still happen if that's your thing. But I'm here to tell you, if you saw, and if you did, give us a call, 804-327-0888, the bloodbath that was the lightweight main event Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethy, and this kid, Gaethy, trust me, he is a powerhouse. He has a left hook like very few I've seen, and he was nailing Ferguson. 
it got to the point where I was like, please throw in the towel for this guy, but they wouldn't do it. And it was a brutal fight. So what I'm saying with the headgear, it's not to take away from the sport. It's to add longevity to the fighters. And these guys don't have to say, hey, I'm a warrior. If you go in there, in that situation, in that cage, you're a warrior. Okay, I'm with you. I'm a 1,000% behind you. You don't have anything to prove to me. But if others out there feel like, well, no, they got to take the headgear off and, and take all those brutal shots, then I think you, you're, you're kind of short-sighted. You're looking at it from a different standpoint, from a health standpoint. These guys, as Big Al said, their health from years from now, this Ferguson kid, I don't know if he takes another beating like that, if he's going to be able to uh, know his own zip code in a couple of years. I, it was that bad. So I implore the UFC – not that I have a tremendous amount to do with it, but consider the headgear aspect. You still have a brutal sport. You're still going to be well attended. But here's the thing. One of these aspects that I disagree with, while I don't mind the punching and all of the different aspects, that's part of the sport. But the one fight I saw, a guy led with his forearm and absolutely crushed the guy's face with his forearm. And I thought to myself, man, I mean, there should be certain aspects of it that should be tweaked a little bit, elbows and the forearms, I mean, to the point where uh, the brutality of it, I guess maybe that is the major draw. But uh, you're not going to see that in a boxing ring, of course, because uh, just it seems like anything goes, and maybe that's the draw, I guess. But, no, I, I think there's a way to do it to protect the fighters a little bit, and I just um, would have to say that's something i like to see improved. But I will say this. Uh, they say the buys for this fight, were through the roof. And, of course, most people home watching, wanting to see something in the world of sports. And don't get me wrong, you got your money's worth in terms of action. This UFC fight, 249, was well done. And so you're going to see more and more of this without fans. But I'm telling you what, this fight was done on an island, and it was done uh, to the point where uh, Dana White took it away and no fans and everybody walking to the ring all had masks and everybody except Dana White. And I know he took a lot of ribbing about the fact that the main guy that was the face of the UFC did not have a face mask on. So that's something that was interesting to me. So that was that. The UFC on Saturday night, I really enjoyed it. Had something to watch, something to look forward to. And, of course, Sunday night uh, it was all in on the last dance. What are your thoughts about the last dance, Michael Jordan? You know, as you start peeling the onion layer back further and further, you find more about Michael Jordan. Some of you may have had thoughts about this. Some of you may wonder why he was so great, how he was so great. Uh, but he was tyrannical in many ways. He was demanding in many ways. He belittled some of his teammates. He put them down. Scotty Burrell was one guy. He had biting comments. He was very, very demanding which made part of his greatness come to light because he said, quote, my mentality was to go out and win at any cost, unquote. He went on to say, if you don't want to live that regimented mentality, then you don't need to be alongside of me because I'm going to ridicule, ridicule you until you get on the same level with me. And if you don't get on the same level, then it's going to be hell for you. So as Scott Burrell said, we couldn't be on his level. Nobody could be on his level, but he would demand that we try to be on his level. Jordan's ability to push teammates to a higher level was well chronicled throughout his career. And, you know, he says winning has a price. And, of course, during the documentary, he had to stop because he was getting emotional because he felt almost attacked because people were getting on him about the fact that he demanded so much. Michael Jordan demanded 
excellence. I love Jordan. I still love Jordan. I thought that what he did now, did he cross the line? Uh, you know, I'm not into the bullying aspect at all. But I thought what he did was he pushed buttons of players. He wanted excellence. And if he said, in his own words, I'm giving my best, you need to give your best. And it's one of those situations. Ben, I believe you have a cut of Jordan uh, discussing this. So let's take a listen. This is Michael Jordan in the last dance. His thoughts about uh, giving the extra amount that is required to be excellent. Like, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. He had to take a break, as he said. If you don't want to play that way, we're not going to play that way. You're not going to be part of this deal. And that's a situation that really stuck out to me. Of course, Steve Kerr, and this is the way I am. I mean, I'm going to take so much myself, and then you have to stand up for yourself. And there was a situation where Steve Kerr in a practice, Jordan and he were talking, trash talking back and forth, and they got to a point where Steve Kerr said, hey, I'm a competitive guy too, and I'm not going to back down. And Steve Kerr, in a well-documented practice, punched Michael Jordan in the chest. And then Jordan said, I hauled off and I punched him right in the eye. And he was thrown out of practice. And then he later apologized. But in that moment, Steve Kerr said, I earned his respect because I didn't back down. And if you saw a lot of the guys, like Scott Burrell, his teammate, he tried to get him to give up or quit or pushed every button. And Burrell would laugh. Scott Burrell, a very nice guy, quality guy, never let her get under his skin. He took it in good good measure and good stride. But the thing about it was Jordan wanted him to fight back, and he never could get him to fight back. And some guys aren't that way. Something else that always stood out to me through the years about Scottie Pippen, who I thought was one of the NBAs and still do, one of the great players of all time. But the time when... Tony Kukoc, the play was drawn up for him with 1.8 seconds left to go in a game. He had hit plays earlier in the season, long shots, and won a lot of games. And so they went back to that. Phil Jackson, being a great coach, went back to the winning formula. But it really ticked off Scottie Pippen to the point where he refused to go back in the game. And Phil went over to say, hey, are you getting back in? He's like, no, I'm not going back in. So as the documentary said, his teammates looked at that as you quit on us. You gave up on us. And that's the way I saw it as well. He quit on his teammates at a team when they, time when they needed him. It's very rare you've ever heard that in the annals of any major sport that somebody depended on so much just quits on a teammate because they didn't get the ball or they weren't the focal point. Once again, that's what I talk about, putting the me ahead of the we. And that's the situation with Scotty Pitt, which he apologized for, but yet the damage was done. As Michael Jordan said, that's going to haunt him forever because it's something you can't put back in the bottle once you pull that cork out. So that's the situation there. And Ben, uh, doing a great job back in the studio, has a comment uh, that was played regarding Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan. So let's take a look, uh, listen to that from last night in terms of the last dance. Here is Steve Kerr. Look, I just beat up the little guy on the court. And I felt about this small. So when I get, I get in the car, you know, I called back to the burial center. I said, please give me Steve Kerr's number. I called Steve and I apologized. I said, look, man, it had nothing to do with you. 
you know, I feel bad. We talked it out, and it was probably, in a weird way, uh, best, the best thing that I ever did was stand up for myself with him uh, because he tested everybody he played with, and I stood up to him. He earned my respect, you know, because he, he wasn't willing to back down to be a pawn in this whole process. So Steve Kerr standing up to Michael Jordan and getting in a fist fight earned his respect because he didn't back down. And he said after that incident, Jordan said, I called Steve, I went through it with him, and he earned my respect because he didn't back down. Because what Jordan was trying to do in his way was get these guys battle-tested mentally, physically, ready, not just for a practice where it wasn't really meaning that much, but when it came to game time, so it would transfer over. When the chips were on the line, these guys would step up. And remember, Steve Kerr hit some big championship shots in his career and was a great player for the Bulls. But it wasn't until he earns the respect of Jordan where Jordan says, I can trust this guy at money time. And that was the case with, I mean, he got on Purdue. He got on Winnington, uh, B.J. Armstrong. Some of these guys are like, uh, you know, he wasn't a great teammate because of his demands. He demanded excellence from us. And I heard things like, you know, he would say to Scott Burrell, you don't deserve to eat tonight on the plane ride. He would tell the stewardess, don't serve that guy anything to eat, things like that. So Jordan was very hard on people. And, you know, you see inside of a guy, and as Andrea Kramer said during the broadcast, she said, you know what, when you've got perfection all around you and you see this image, this public image of Be Like Mike and all the great things he did, you don't think the guy has any issues whatsoever. And obviously – you know, he wasn't perfect because of what he had to go through. A very sad thing was the loss of his father and uh, the murder of his father and what he went through there and all of that. And I thought the greatest injustice maybe in sports uh, writing of all time was the fact that so many people tried to say because Jordan gambled and because he did certain things that maybe he was in on uh, the murder of his father, which was absolutely ridiculous. There was never a scintilla of evidence to that. But so many people that, as Jordan said, there were certain guys that didn't care for me and wrote that and, you know, basically put me on blast and were basically attacking me because they felt they could. And he said it really hurt me and things like that. But the one thing I loved about Jordan more than anything, if you saw some of the things he said uh, and looked deep at those things uh, beneath the surface, the Sports Illustrated, where it was a swing and a miss when he swung a bat and missed it and said, you know, come on. Michael Jordan basically embarrassing himself. He never spoke to Sports Illustrated again after that. And you look at some of the, the biting comments certain people made, like he said, George Carl, who was a North Carolina graduate as well, and coach of Seattle, uh, he wanted his psychological edge. And he said, George Carl walked by his table and didn't say hello or, you know, talk. He said, hey, I played golf with this guy. I, I've donated to his causes. We played at North Carolina. And yet he wouldn't even look at me. He said, so there, I said, I'm going to get this, you know what. And B.J. Armstrong and, and Gary Payton, when Gary Payton said, you know, I wish I could have guarded him during the series earlier, I think it would have made a difference. And Jordan was laughing out loud, literally, uh, because he was using every psychological advantage, even when uh, there was a player for the Bullets that they had a good night against them and they played back-to-backs. And Jordan said that the player said to him afterwards, you know, nice game, Mike. Well, that was never said, but in his mind he said that, or he made a statement that the kid said this to him. Next thing you know, he comes out the next night and scores 36 points in the first half. So he used every psychological advantage he could <clears throat> to his advantage. 
And that's something that is the, the mastery of Michael Jordan. He would do whatever he had to do to get his edge and get his teammates riled up. And to see what he did, folks, and, and hear Jerry Reinsdorf say that he could have potentially played in the major leagues, that he was doing well. Uh, to start his career, he had a 13-game hitting streak in the minor leagues. So you look at Jordan, and uh, they basically uh, was going well until they started, as Ben said, uh, throwing breaking balls to him. He basically uh, had a tough time, but he finally got back after But his work ethic, uh, the managers who worked with him said, this guy would take batting practice in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. He'd lift, he'd do everything, and then you know he had blisters and calluses on his hands from all the effort he's putting into it. He took it seriously, and of course they had the strike and it derailed it. But to come back from baseball, to give his best to do something he wanted to do, and then come back to basketball and win championships, just unbelievable to start one thing and then stop it and then come back in another sport, just absolutely unbelievable. So when you look at the – uh, baseball aspect. Some people say, well, it was a failed opportunity. He shouldn't have done it, but that's what he wanted to do. And as he said, he made no apologies. And if people didn't like it, that's the way it is. But I'm going to go and go down my path and do what I think I want to do. So that's the situation with The Last Dance. What are your thoughts? Give us a call 804-327-0888. It's absolutely stunning to watch this last dance and Michael Jordan to see the path the Bulls took and there's just more to come and you can't miss it it's must-see TV going to take a time out you're listening to Sports King on this Monday morning we'll be right back after these messages hi this is Bob Dandridge from the world champion Washington Bullet and you are listening to Sports King show with Jamie King on Sports 1061 Hi, sports fans. It's the Sports King for the Podiatry Center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. That is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Let's get back to the guy who said where there's a will, there's a relative. Oh, you're listening to Sports King right here on Sports 1061. tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problem with you folks. Jerry Stiller, uh, the Festivus speech. Uh, what a great one. A Seinfeld. Festivus for the rest of us. A Festivus for the rest of us. Exactly. Jerry Stiller, of course, George Cassandra's dad. Uh, what an amazing actor. Passed away over the weekend, 92 years young. And boy, what a loss in the comedy world he was. And uh, five years on Seinfeld, you thought he was there a lot longer, but boy, did he steal scenes. He just makes you laugh just thinking of him. And 
uh, all of that uh, Festivus stuff was just hilarious to watch uh, when he'd go around the table and saying, I have problems with all of you folks here, and I'm going to tell you about it right now. Anyway, uh, we want to move forward. We've got the NFL and major college football. Of course, Mark Emmerich started things off on the show today. He said, the president of NCAA, if no students are on campus, no student athletes uh, will be either. So there you have it. And you wonder uh, if you allowed student athletes back, how it's going to work. Uh, I saw an ESPN report this morning uh, in terms of Alabama football. Think about this for a minute. $95 million earned annually from ticket sales to go see Alabama, nearly $100 million into the coffers for the Crimson Tide. That goes to all the other sports, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, women's sports, everywhere. So when you look at the money in the Alabama till at $95 million, that's 60% of the school's resources right there. 60%. So now you're talking about a season where you may have a third of that scattered throughout the entire stadium. Yes, you can still watch the game. Yes, you're going to have social distancing. But that $95 million pie, what happens then? Does it go down to $25 million? $30 million? Because people are not going to gather and beyond the Alabama pie that they're going to receive, what bothers me are the towns around there that survive. Most of their money is made during those football seasons. The shirts and the food and the ice cream and all the different pizza plates, all of the things that go into college football weekends, you take that $95 million ticket sale pie and then you take that from the folks that come into like places like Happy Valley. Uh, the money spent in those small towns, they thrive on it. That's why they bought those businesses there. And now maybe a small percentage of people are going to come through weekend. It may be a lottery thing, maybe something where they'll say every five or six person on the list can come and they switch it every week and give different lottery. I don't know how they're going to do it, but. Uh, Mark Emmerich, the president, who Paul Feinbaum, the outstanding broadcaster, said he has as much pull as Bozo the Clown. He's saying that, hey, we're going to not follow Mark Emmerich. It's going to be done by the university level, which may or may not be the case. I don't know from a presidential standpoint of the NCAA, he's a governing body there, but he can't tell the chancellors what to do. I think he can advise them, but he's saying that he doesn't feel if the students are coming back, there's going to be no student athletes, which means there's going to be no sports to speak of in the fall. So we are watching this day by day. But then on the other side of the street, you see things like NASCAR coming back this weekend. I know Ben Maitland very excited about that. It's not going to be with fans, much like the UFC we saw this weekend was without fans. But I'll be honest with you, I was so enthralled to see action at the UFC level. It didn't matter to me in terms of uh, the fans. I mean, I wanted the fans there, of course, but it's one of those things where we take something over nothing. And that's what I feel in terms of sports. We will take something at this point. And the fact that NASCAR is coming back and maybe some golf events coming up, uh, baseball still working on something. But they're looking at the NFL. They've got the schedule out. There's hype and anticipation. And 
it's looking like they're trying to come up with something to get people back in the stadiums. It's still unclear whether fans will be allowed in. And, of course, uh, Atlanta is talking about one aspect in terms of drawing people. They've got 70,000 people that they could have in there in the Mercedes-Benz Dome, but it looks like you know they're saying, how can we do this? Uh, it's a challenge for the operational side of things. And they're talking about it daily, trying to come up with an idea on how to get people in the gate without infecting or passing this on or making it worse. So, of course, the vaccine is the ultimate answer. But right now, with that being off in the distance, they're trying to come up with something to give us something back. Now, I like what happened the other night with UFC on Saturday. I like the fact that trainers were coming in. Everybody had masks on. But then Dana White, the UFC president, has no mask. He's shaking hands. And Joe Rogan, the announcer afterwards, had no mask. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, I know an announcer with, no, with a mask on doesn't look right. But at the same time, is that the safeguard that needs to be in place? Why wasn't he using a mask? Why wasn't Dana White using a mask? He's the face of the franchise. So basically that should be the case. So we're just wondering, what's your take? Give us a call, 804-327-0888. 804-327-0888 is the number. Would you go back to the NFL to see a game? Would you go back college football to see a game? If so, what's it going to take for you to go through the gate? How far distance will you have to be to sit and enjoy a ball game? I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I just don't know if now's the time to return. As much as I want to see a ball game, you have to wonder what – you know, the dice are that you're rolling with that and the opportunity to get infected and so forth. There's so many safeguards that have to be in place, and they're working on this, I know, but it's going to have to be, what is it, five seats apart, four seats apart? What is the distance that they're talking about, and how will they go about doing that? Now, you can still have a good stadium with a partially filled stadium in terms of uh, hearing a little crowd noise and you see some excitement, but it's going to be very sparse. But I still think we can do this, and it's sad for the universities that need the money so badly for all the other sports and all the other professors and all the monies that they raise to help uh, spread out throughout the entire university that now it's going to be really diluted. That's the thing that bothers me the most now, because how are these universities going to survive? Now, the Alabamas of the world, the Oregons of the world, the LSU Tigers of the world, hello and good morning, Coach Ogeron, uh, in terms of what they're doing, uh, you know they're going to make. Thank you, go Tigers. Do you think they're going to make their money? They're obviously going to make their money. They got plenty of money in the coffers. It's the mid majors. It's the smaller schools, the D three schools that really need these monies. And I'm not saying the D ones don't, but there's certain ones that are those pristine colleges that have so much already. They're going to make it through. They're built for these things. When they happen, they'll get through. But it's the you know the D2s, D3s, and others that are really struggling through this, and we wonder what's going to happen. When you look at the weekend, and of course Tom Woods mentioned this morning, uh, he called uh, the shot that I mentioned about Cam Newton coming to Washington, saying that he thought about it, and now he's on board. See, people are starting to really text me and talk to me and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe that's not a bad idea. Maybe bringing a veteran presence in this Redskin locker room is what we need at the quarterback position. That's what I'm saying. If you want to win now, you bring in Cam Newton, you bring in a guy that knows how to win, has been to a Super Bowl. The whole question with Cam Newton is, can you afford him price-wise? You're not going to front-load his contract and say, okay, I'm going to give you all the money in the world and then be stuck with a long-term contract. I bring him in at his minimum pay and then back-load the contract, say, if you hit the deliverables, we'll pay you a king's ransom. 
But if you don't, then we're not on the hook for that. So they have to look at it from a standpoint of what is financially viable in terms of Cam Newton. But if you get that player in here, and it looks like Bill Belichick's happy with the four guys, as they may not do that in the situation at New England, but Washington with only two quality quarterbacks. Of course, Steven Montez from Colorado is brought in too. He's a practice squad arm. Make no mistake about that. But it looks like with the two guys we have in the room, there's room for one more and a veteran is needed. I asked for Andy Dalton. He's now with the Dallas Cowboys. So that guy's off the market. So it has to be Cam Newton if we're going to do anything there. But you wonder once again why they, why it's been so long in terms of Ron Rivera pulling the trigger. It's got to be economics because the cost may not be right now what they want to pay. But if they can pick him up at the very end, that would be something, you know, well with, worth taking a look at. Also learned over the weekend that Joe Tessator and Booger McFarland are out on Monday Night Football. They will not be calling the games. What's your take on this? I like Joe, Joe T. Joe Tessator did a great job. Booger McFarland, good job. I always liked him, very likable guy. I just, you know, the stuff in the stadium, uh, him sitting up in the crowd, wasn't real high on that. It's kind of distracting. Um, I don't know that these two will go down in uh, Monday Night Football lore is the greatest pairing of all time. I just thought at times it was disjointed, but uh, for whatever reason, they made this move and decided that they've been a part of the past two seasons, but they've been told they will not return, according to two news reports. So Booker McFarland, Joe Testor out on Monday Night Football. You've got guys out there that you're looking at, of course, uh, Drew Brees next year potentially, but you wonder right now who's going to fill the void, and they're saying it's going to be done internally, but it's one of those things where we just don't know what's going to happen there. So that's happening at the Monday night football booth. Uh, also in football news, the Saints have cut three-year starter, three-time Pro, uh, Pro Bowl guard uh, uh, Larry Warford, a guy that the Redskins should take a look at. Of course, his three-year run as a starter was cast in doubt by the club selection of uh, interior lineman Cesar Ruiz from Michigan in the first round of the NFL draft. Warford, whose termination was announced this past Friday by General Manager Mickey Loomis of the New Orleans Saints, started all 44 games, which he played for New Orleans since signing a, a four-year, $34 million contract in 2017. He's six foot three, 317-pounder, was a pro bowler. So here's the thing with Warford. You bring him into the Redskins, if you can get him, Bring him in here, and he shores up an offensive line in need of shoring up, and he's a guy that could definitely plug and play from day one. So Larry Warford, uh, hopefully somebody from Redskin Park trying to get you in here because he would be one heck of an addition if we were able to get him in here and help this Redskins in the young quarter, if it is going to be the young quarterback. We have gone on record here on the show talking about Dwayne Haskins Jr. Is he the guy? We're not sure about that either because if he loses a job to Kyle Allen, who was brought in here by Ron Rivera, that's going to be a really uh, tumultuous situation for the young rookie because you're looking at, uh, you know, Haskins could go in the tank and then he may not come back from it. So you wonder what's going to happen there. And scanning some of the news out there in the sports world, I saw something over the weekend really was really interesting to me as a golfer, or at least I call myself a golfer. Uh, there's a guy named Anthony Griggs, and he has done something that's just remarkable. He posted a round of 84 over 18 holes. He's 61 years old. He played the entire round with just a putter. He teed off. He hit his shots out of the bunkers, out of the fairways, just a putter. And he shot an 84. 
Thank you so much, Mr. Griggs, for making me feel so good at what I do. Anyway, he went on to win a tournament, and he actually won uh, an amateur tournament with just a putter. There's a picture of him online holding up a trophy, and it's just amazing. The guy wins the tournament with a putter only. So his reward for winning the D flight at the White Horse Pass Golf Course, he'll be promoted to B flight for the next event. And uh, he went to Goodwill, bought an old Wilson staff putter for $2.99. The loan club he used to win the Phoenix area event as he beat Angelo Fowl by six strokes to claim the crown. Now, if you're Angelo Fowl, you have to think to yourself, I just got beat by a guy that played the entire 18 round, 18 hole round with, with just a putter and shot it, you know, an amazing score to me, you're shooting an 84 with a putter. Are you kidding me? Uh, the guy just turned 61 years of age and shot an 84 with a putter. Think about that for a minute. I can't shoot 84 with a full bag and that's embarrassing. And that you, now if you're playing in a tournament against a guy for a club championship and a guy beats you with a putter, uh, that's uh, that's not good. That takes a little steam out of your sails here as far as that. But congratulations, an amazing accomplishment. Uh, I need every club in my bag, and I still, as good as I have all those clubs, I can't get it done. And I just take my hat off to a guy playing an entire round with just a putter. And we're going to take a timeout. We're going to come back, and uh, we've got a lot more sports to go through. Of course, uh, over the weekend, UFC 249, that was a great success. The Last Dance, Michael Jordan, we can talk about that. The Redskins, your favorite team, your favorite players. Give us a call, 804-327-0888 is the number. It's a Monday morning on the Sports King. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is actor Matthew Rauch. I played Burton on the hit series Banshee on Cinemax. You are listening to my friend, Jamie King, the Sports King, who told me I'm welcome on his show anytime, as long as I keep my glasses on. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, GM at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid because we are doing everything we can to keep our dealership clean and offering delivery services to minimize exposure. We've also opened a helpline for assistance of any kind, including grocery or medication pickup. Please call our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com to learn more. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Want to reach the Sports King? Call 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Learn it. Know it. Live it. And welcome back, everyone. Monday morning, heading to the top of the hour. And our final moments in hour one, I just heard uh, sad news. The Colts have lost the legend. Former defensive line coach John Tyrolnick, the man who molded Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, and one of the most devastating pass-rushing duos of all time, has died at the age of 69. The Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay has announced Indianapolis was the last of his six stops in the NFL. In every place, he left great pass rushers behind. 
Rest in peace, John Tierney Ursay tweeted, one of our sport's all-time greatest assistant coaches and a horseshoe guy through and through. And, of course, he was a great coach. Uh, he did some great things, won three Super Bowl rings, two with Denver, one with the Colts. He coached 31 Pro Bowlers, taught seven men, Freeney, Mathis, Bubba Baker, Kevin Green, Chris Dolman, John Randall, and Neil Smith, who finished their careers with more than 100 sacks. Think about that for a minute of the guys he touched in terms of teaching and coaching. And Mathis went on to say, RIP to the greatest pass rush, uh, pass rush coach of all time. He tweeted on Sunday night. Then he added the man that taught the great Rod Marinelli and all believers of real pass rush. John Tiernick is gone at 69 and the Colts have lost a real legend there. This guy was really beloved in terms of players out there. I uh, want to let you know, this especially to my producer, Ben Maitland, if you happen to have 330000 lying around, and many of you do, uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, is putting up his Super Bowl championship ring for auction, announcing the bid Sunday as part of the digital fundraiser, quote, all-in challenge, unquote. Kraft said in a social media video announcing the auction that he wanted to put something up of extreme value amid the coronavirus pandemic. He went on to say, I thought it would be good to give this ring our fifth Super Bowl win because it showed how we came back, Kraft said. The auction scheduled to span 11 days shot up to 330000 earlier this morning. It began at 6 p.m. on Sunday with an original bid of $75,000. Their winner will receive a personal visit from Kraft in his Gillette Stadium office, and the means of travel will be on the team's personal plane. Kraft went on to say, we're the greatest country in the world with the greatest people and feel a sense of team and work together in the toughest times, end quote. Kraft said in a video posted to social media alongside with the announcement, I wanted to give this ring to someone who will be worthy enough to bid it up so we can get meals to all these people who are hurtling badly at this time. What could I do? What would be special? I've been thinking about it for weeks. I finally thought the experience about the win, the come-from-behind win over the Atlanta Falcons. We were down 28-3 to in the third quarter. We had a 99.6% odds to lose, and we came back and we won. So I love the thought behind this, and Robert Kraft, of course, the very giving owner of the Patriots, uh, uh, started this, and basically – um, he's had a friend, Michael Rubin, who created the All In Fundraiser with the aim of making it the largest digital fundraiser in history, raising millions to feed those in need. It had raised $38,069,905 as of Monday morning. The proceeds raised through the auction will go directly to Feeding America, Meals on Wheels, World Central Kitchen, and No Kid Hungry. And I've had people texting me saying, hey, how can we not feed the people in need right now? And folks, people like this we're doing it. We're doing it here at uh, Summit Media with FeedRichmond.org. A great, great uh, thing we're doing here for all of our radio stations pitching in and doing that. So please, if you have the opportunity, go to FeedRichmond.org. Learn more about it. Well, a donation of any kind would be helpful. One dollar, just one dollar, will feed. Uh, will provide four meals for one dollar. They really stretch it out. So. Uh, you can feed somebody today and be a hero by donating to FeedRichmond.org. But this thing that Robert Kraft is doing is amazing. And as I said, if you happen to have $330,000 right now, that's where the bidding is for the Super Bowl ring for the New England Patriots. So you can have it for $330K if you do. Uh, give him a call. Gillette Stadium, ask for Mr. Kraft and uh, put your bid in today. But I'm telling you, boy, that thing shot up quickly from 75000 to three hundred thirty, and it's not done yet. So we're going to wait and see how that uh, all shakes out. 
baseball news, uh, Bryce Harper opened up uh, on Barstool Sports. He talked about the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies situation, uh, he thought he was going to remain with the Nationals. He said he had a great meeting with the Nationals. He walked out with his agent, Scott Morris. He said, please get it done. He said, I got an offer back and it hurt. It just hurt. So we kind of turned the page on that in the new year. Harper ultimately signed a 13-year, $330 million offer with the Phillies last spring, which became the richest contract in the history of North American sports at the time. The 27-year-old Harper, of course, with 35 home runs and 114 RBI in 2019. That was great for him. However, the Nationals went on to win their first World, Ser- uh, World Series. In a previous interview, Lerner said at the end of the day there was an economic factor. He chose to move on. So many people thought when you lose Bryce Harper, you're going to lose such a big part of your lineup that it's going to cost you in big ways. For the Nationals, Davey Martinez and company, this team pulled together and were able to win where they hadn't won with Harper. So I'm not saying that it's because of losing him we won, but the team seemed to pull together and got some key pieces in there and uh, Juan Soto among them and did some great things, and guys came up big. Anthony Rendon, of course, who's no longer with us. But when you look at this team in the cohesiveness from last year, it just really did some amazing things. And that's one of the things I'm most disappointed with the situation we're dealing with now. I couldn't see the Nationals raise their their Nationals World Series banner, get their rings, which they say they're still going to do. And the longer this goes on, you wonder – uh, you had some things come out over the weekend. Shaquille O'Neal was talking on the NBA side. He's saying, hey, we need to just scrap the NBA season. And I was wondering about that, why he would say that. And he said, you know, most teams right now that are really uh, in a situation where, um, you know, they are not going to be able to put on a great product. Uh, O'Neal was basically talking in an interview with uh, The Win. He spoke about how he and his family have been dealing with social distancing and he went on to talk about uh, you know, the fact that right now I don't think the NBA can continue in terms of uh, the way it should be. So he said, you know, I think we should scrap the season. Everybody go home, get healthy, come back next year. Just scrap the season, scrap it to try to come back now to do a rush to the playoffs as a player. Any team that wins this year, there's an asterisk. They're not going to get the respect. What if a team that's not really in the mix of things all of a sudden wins with a new playoff format? Nobody's going to respect that. So scrap it. Worry about the safety of the fans and the people. Come back next year. What's your take on the Sports King show? What do you think about Shaquille O'Neal's comments? Do you think it should be scrapped? Do you think they should continue? Do you think they should do uh, whatever they can to get back on the court and try to make a run at this? I kind of disagree in one sense. I think, uh, you know, I see what he's saying in terms of what happens if a team that Nobody expects jumps up and all of a sudden wins it because of the fact that maybe they're playing better and they're more prepared. But I, I don't see that happen. I think you've got the Lakers, you've got the Bucks, you've got some really talented teams, Houston, that are going to rise to the top. They'll be there. And I don't think it's going to be really somebody off the beaten path, somebody that's going to be like the Wizards to come up and win a world title. I just don't see that happening, even in a shortened deal. I think the top teams are still going to rise to the top. And I really feel that the, the Lakers and Bucks are going to be those two teams. One of those two would win it all, in my opinion. They're just so talented, and they had everything going well before, of course, the coronavirus. So while I agree with him in one sense, it, it's going to be maybe an asterisk because of the fact that it's not as many games played. I still think that the top teams will win. I, I just don't you know, buy into what he's saying in terms of somebody like a 
a Washington Wizards or somebody that's on the lower end of the spectrum will come up and all of a sudden just win a you know world title because of the fact that uh, you know they just got hot at the right time. I just don't buy into that as much. I just think those top teams right there, uh, while one of them may falter because of this or maybe not play their best, it's still going to be one of those top teams that will win because they're so you know prepared in regards to you know LeBron and uh, Giannis, guys like that are going to lead their team to that title, uh, at least a title run. So you look at, you know, the James Harden, maybe somebody like that could step up and get on a hot run and maybe do something. But it would be somebody on those front-line teams. It won't be somebody at the bottom coming up. So I think O'Neal's a little bit uh, off in regards to that aspect. But uh, I know where he's coming from. But he does think in his mind that they should scrap everything and come back next year. But if we do this, then it opens a Pandora's box. I think more and more teams will say, well, we'll scrap it, we'll scrap it, we'll scrap it. And next thing you know, everything is scrapped. We want to make sure we do everything we can safety-wise to get people back into the buildings. And that's something that we want to do. So uh, what's your take on it? We're going to go to commercial here in just a minute, but uh, we want to hear from you. 804 327 804-327-0888. What do you think about this situation? Should the NBA continue? What about the NFL? What about college football? Are you coming back? If it comes back, it may not be the way we want it to be. But will you come back to the stadium right now? What's your take? We'd love to hear from you once again. 804-327-0888 is the number. And we've got a lot more Sports King as we head to the top of the hour. Don't forget... Uh, this is a big issue right now, and of course, over the weekend, you saw the UFC without any fans. I enjoyed that. Of course, I missed the fans, but I know the folks there missed it as well. But it was a great event nonetheless, and some really, really exciting matches there on the UFC side. We'll be right back. It's the top of the hour on the Sports King Show on this Monday morning. I'm alongside Ben Maitland. I'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. It's the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Hi, this is Mark Mosley of the Washington Redskins, NFL MVP in 1982. You're listening to my friend Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 1061. With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies lacrosse, from business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. Eager ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. You're listening to a man whose yoga instructor asked him how flexible he was, and he replied that he couldn't do Tuesdays. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. Thank you very much, Ben Maitland, the outstanding producer of Sports Phone with Big Al, 8 to 10 live. I follow Al, 10 to noon. Immediately following me, we head to Los Angeles to the jungle of Jim Rome. The outstanding legendary broadcaster takes over at noon o'clock hour here on Sports 1061. Want to get back into it? Give us your thoughts, 804-327-0888, 804-327-0888. Would you go back to college football? Would you go back to the NFL now? Sports King says, I might, but there'd have to be some distance. And then I saw the other night flipping through the channels. I saw Sean Hannity from Fox saying, hey, I'd go back to Yankee Stadium. I'd lift my mask up, eat my hot dog, and drink my beer underneath my mask. I guess that's how you'd have to do it. Uh, of course, uh, 
Can you imagine getting your ketchup and mustard all over your mask? And uh, what a mess. But if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. Maybe have a hole in the mask for your straw and drink your... Uh, I don't know. I digress. Anyway. Uh, just a bit outside. Yeah. Anyway, the sports world is getting a little antsy today. Of course, uh, Christine Brennan, the outstanding uh, writer for USA Today, was talking about over the weekend about how sports is going to be spectator-less uh, with the social distancing and millions of fans want their sports back and can use the escape, but wishing and hoping will not make it so. It's not going to be the league commissioners or conference officials, not billionaires or millionaire players. It's going to be the governors and mayors who run our sports world right now. The elected officials are the most powerful people in sports today, as they should be. Of course, they had the recent NFL draft, 55 million people watch it. But when you listen to the folks running the cities right now, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, said, while it breaks my heart that I can't watch my Chicago White Sox play or the Cubs, the health and safety of residents must come first. This means placing a hold on activities which attract large crowds until we are confident in our ability to prevent the spread of COVID-19. While I believe that Major League Baseball is working on creative ways to address these public health concerns for now, that means that Chicago isn't playing. So if Chicago is not playing, you hear that, and then you hear Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky said that Major League Baseball Rob Manford uh, needs to uh, get baseball going. While many of us enjoy and miss baseball, the country actually needs is, uh, you know, get back on the field. The testing aspect, the contact tracing, and the research that's going on behind the scenes, you wonder what's going on. And the thing about it is, as Christine Brennan said in this article, it's not going to be the millionaire players. It's not going to be the billionaire owners. It's not going to be anybody in the commissioner's office saying when we're going to go back. They can say that till the cows come home. But until the governors and the elected officials say we're going to open the state to do so, you're not going to play. So the bottom line is this. I've said it on this show I want it back more than anybody wants it back, but it has to be done safely. So it has to be all for one, one for all. We can't have certain teams open and other teams not open. You can't have certain teams play, other teams not play. If you can't do it together, you can't do it at all. Not only a competitive balance aspect, but you have to look at it from a you know, fan safety aspect. If one area has a downward curve and they feel like, hey, we can open up, but the state next to them, can't do that you just can't do it so it has to be done and, and i hate saying this more than anybody in terms of waiting on the word to get the all clear but short of a vaccine it's going to be done in a very very slow way of doing it and the, the thought of missing a college football season or missing a pro season it's to me devastating just to even thought of it but when you look at what we've been through as a country and the wars and the assassination of president kennedy and uh, the assassination attempts out there and all the things we've been through from that aspect. And then you look at the 9-11 and how we came back right after that. And people said, we want to play the sport because we want to get America back. And now uh, this is a different deal. It's a silent killer that nobody sees coming. And so you're wondering how to protect the innocent folks that walk through the gates, the elderly and the young people and everybody in general. How do you protect them? What would you do? Give us a call, 804-327-0888 is the number of the studio of the Sports King Show. We want to know from you. Would you go back right now uh, to watch a college football game or pro game? It's one of those things where you have to ask yourself, 
you know, are you going to sit it out until the safety measures are in place or until there's a virus uh, a killer, uh, a vaccine in place that we can basically say, hey, we're done with this, we can move forward? And some people are saying this could be, you know, the rapid response situation where it could happen quickly by September, some people are saying, hopefully, or it could be much longer. But right now, the question is, we need sports. And what happened over the weekend with the UFC 249, absolutely the buys from people at home went through the roof. So people are hungry for sports of any kind. I actually think if there is a fishing show and a tournament uh, tape live right now, or shown live right now, we would watch it. Anything, you just want to see some competitive aspects going on out there. And right now, when you don't have that, it really is one of those things where you're like, who is going to be the first to market? Is it going to be baseball? Will basketball come back? We'll be able to see basketball in some form. And I just don't know. The NHL, from a selfish standpoint, being a Capitals fan, they were having such a great season. Alex Ovechkin was going on such a great clip that I thought, man, we really have a shot to win another Stanley Cup. And then it's wiped away. The NCAA tournament wiped away all of the things out there that you wonder about in terms of can we get back to some sense of normalcy, and that's where we're at right now. That's the state of things. But as I said earlier uh, about college sports, Alabama in particular, $95 million of their ticket sales is what they earn, almost $100 million every year just on ticket sales. I'm not talking about popcorn. I'm not talking about sodas. I'm not talking about programs. Just in ticket sale money revenue that alabama pie supports everything else teachers professors everybody there all of the folks the ancillary staff everything else goes into that 95 million dollar pie just in ticket sales you take that away and reduce that to 20 25 million and then everything suffers there at the school and so forth but that's at the d1 level the d2 level the nai level d3 level i mean you're looking at Really devastation there in terms of those schools that really need it. In the small towns, there's many small towns out there that survive in these D3, D2 schools that their little towns come to life. North Dakota State, uh, schools like that that have such a following that people go there for the weekend and they make it a weekend. Now you wonder how long people are going to stay in that town. If they're going to stay overnight. They just come in for the day. And so that changes things from a revenue model in terms of lodging and so forth. And the restaurants, they're just going to have a lot of folks that are sitting there going to the window and picking up a hot dog and leaving without, you know, sitting down. I mean, those are just questions, um, you know, how it's going to affect everybody, uh, the ice cream shops. I mean, it's just one of those things that everybody there in those towns that put all their money into going to those towns for the right to serve those people. And they know that the majority of their income is done in those uh, eight to 10 weeks at whatever whatever the number is in terms of home games. That's where they make the bulk of their money annually. To have that taken away, this is more devastating than you can imagine for those folks. So uh, as I said, the big schools are going to get by. The big schools will make it through in terms of financial because they got money in the bank. It's the smaller schools that are really suffering. But uh, we're wondering about the baseball aspect, and we're hearing rumblings. Uh, will they do it in an Arizona setting? Will they do it in a – very small aspect, a small way right now, and then slowly build up to maybe have the three divisions of 10 and just play without fans for the foreseeable future. I mean, you saw that in UFC 249 over the weekend. It worked there. Uh, people were still paying to see it. People will still pay, I think, if you had to pay online to watch your favorite baseball team, you'd probably do that too. I know I would, just to see some sports action. As Big Al said this morning on Sports Phone, 
We want to see something. We're tired of watching the tapes. The tapes are great, but we want to see something live. And that's what we want more than anything. So you're wondering in terms of how is this going to happen? You saw it at UFC. What's the next sport that's going to break through? Is it going to be baseball? Will it be basketball? Or will somebody like an Adam Silver come out and say, we're just going to change it up. We're not going to play basketball this year. And that's the situation there. So uh, what are your thoughts? 804-327-0888 is the number. Would you go back to sports as it is right now in terms of maybe sporadic uh, attendance? Would you be among those? Or are we going to stay home and sit it out? That's another question. Uh, the fans that have to be, uh, looked at from a standpoint of how many fans, and there's certain diehards are going to go back no matter what, but you wonder how many of those fans are still going to renew ticket plans, how many fans are going to go back as things are now. So that's a good question. 804-327-0888 is a number. Over the uh, last few days, Trevor Bauer, the Cincinnati Reds pitcher, I read about this, his phone number was displayed on an ESPN interview and he joined uh, John Chiambe and uh, Jessica Mendoza on FaceTime during a broadcast of a Korean baseball game between LG Twins and NC Dinos. During the multi-inning interview, Bauer's phone number was accidentally shown above his picture, and uh, Bauer uh, went to the uh, uh, Twitter aspect afterwards and said, hey, you know, I'm going to do something fun out of this. My number was given to the whole world, and people started calling him, and his voice mailbox filled up very quickly. Um he said that uh, he was going to give away a pair of signed cleats and an autographed baseball uh, for a content a contest to basically raise money. But it was so funny that on the video you see him and then you see his number broadcast above on a FaceTime situation with his number. So they had a lot of fun with that. But he took it in good spirits, and he's one of those guys that uh, has a good attitude about things. He said, hey, I'm going to turn this into a positive and give away some things in terms of uh, – some cleats and some other things. So Trevor Bauer, hats off to you for helping. The Cleveland Browns, in terms of their roster, they've re-signed wide receiver Rashard Higgins. He's back on the roster. Uh, it remains to be seen if he's back in the game. Higgins signed a one-year $910,000 contract. It was made official this past Friday by the Browns, who brought uh, back the free agent following a strange 2019 season for the former fifth-round draft pick. Higgins, as you recall, was limited by knee injury last season, but he also fell from favor with former coach Freddie Kitchens and finished with four catches for 55 yards. It was a dramatic drop for Higgins, who in 2018 became a favorite target of quarterback Baker Mayfield when he had 39 receptions for 572 yards and four touchdowns. The Browns also waived defensive tackle Brandon Bryant. The 25-year-old Higgins is the longest-tenured receiver with Cleveland. He'll compete for the number three receiver spot behind Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., rookie Donovan Peoples-Jones, DPJ from Michigan, and others. In his four seasons, Higgins has 76 catches for 1,016 yards and seven touchdowns. So that is Rashard Higgins of the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns, you wonder... When you look at this team, they've moved off from John Dorsey, the former GM, friend of the show, and, of course, Freddie Kinches. I never thought he was going to be a head coach anyway, and he shouldn't have been. I shake him up in that bag with Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia of the Lions, I've gone on record saying that he's a coordinator. He's not a head coach. He just doesn't have what it takes to get these guys to win. I do not think Patricia is that guy. He's going to be a good coordinator but not the guy that handles the team. It just looks at times like he's lost, much like Jay Gruden. 
A lot of these guys are career assistants. They don't have the opportunity when they get in the big seat to do what they need to do. Patricia is one of those guys. He'll be back with Belichick or back with uh, New England probably in a year or so because when things burn out with the, with the Ford family there in Detroit, even though he's a nice guy, uh, you know, nice doesn't get it at the NFL level. You have to perform. So Matt Patricia is a guy uh, I'm looking at is just another guy, not a head coach that's going to do great things in Detroit. I'm sorry, Lions fans, for saying that. It's just the way I see it, and I just see a guy like Jay Gruden that's lost at the wheel. So one of those things uh, that uh, you have to say, you know, what's this guy, uh, what's his shelf life here in the NFL is not going to be much in terms of Matt Patricia. Um, Looking at uh, people commenting on Facebook Live, the Steelers, I'm trying to spread it out, of course. uh, Wearing my Ravens stuff last week, now the Steelers this week. Try to give love to Pennsylvania, of course, the Steelers this year with Mike Tomlin, with Ben Roethlisberger, who's supposed to come back. Everybody feels he's going to come back healthy, and a healthy Ben Roethlisberger means big things for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that team is really uh, one of those teams that can compete again for a world title. You can never count out Big Ben when he's right. The question is, is he right now in terms of ability? Is he a guy that can uh, come back? Will he be the same Ben Roethlisberger that we've come to know and love, or is he going to be a guy that's going to be, you know, uh, limited in some of the things he does. And we're just wondering in terms of Big Ben, what we're going to get from him this year. But the Steelers, Mike Tomlin, you know, a guy from our area, is an underrated coach, a guy that has done great things in Pittsburgh. And he's been a mainstay in Pittsburgh. But it looks like, you know, this year is going to be a really pivotal pivotal year for Ben Roethlisberger as well as Juju Smith-Schuster, a guy that really needs to come out of the shadows and really take control of that Steelers offense. Uh, But when you look at Roethlisberger, his durability, other than this past year, has been amazing. Uh, You look at all the things he's done there, the Super Bowl championships. Once again, Bruce Arians had such a great rapport with Roethlisberger. That's why I'm saying when he goes down to Tampa Bay, the situation with Brady I think is going to be great because – Hey, Arians is a guy that's so underrated in terms of the game of football, in terms of his play-calling ability. He's a guy that's going to help improve Tampa Bay exponentially because of his play-calling, his ability to work with quarterbacks. you got to remember, he's worked with Andrew Luck. He's worked with Roethlisberger. He's got maximum things out of those guys. Now, last year you can say, well, it was a failed experiment with Jameis Winston, and you may be right in saying that. But when you look at the numbers of Jameis Winston, the 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, you know, that was god-awful, let's be honest about it. But the productivity through the air under Bruce Arians in that offense was over 5,000 yards. So once again, good Jameis, bad Jameis, but when you look at the numbers, uh, he's a 5,000-yard performer. That's why Sean Payton of New Orleans said, we're going to bring him in to maybe be the heir apparent. Will it be Taysom Hill? Or will it be Jameis Winston? But they're going to learn behind Drew Brees. If I am Jameis Winston, I look at this lifeline that he's been given by Sean Payton, and you bring him in, you say, listen, everything that number nine does, I want you to watch. Everything he does, from the moment he walks into the building, his weight weight room work ethic, his film room study, his game plan preparation, everything that number nine does, I want you to do. I want you to be his shadow. I want you to do what he says, do what he does, learn from him, 
ask questions. If I'm the coach of the of the New Orleans Saints, I, I sit James down and say one thing I want you to do. I want you to have a notepad. I want you to ask every question there is. I want you to follow Drew Brees around everywhere he goes and ask question after question after question. Find out his methodology. Why did he do this? Why did he do that? What did he see here? What did he see there? Because, son, you've got 5,000 yards in terms of your ability to pass the football, which is great. But when you throw 30 touchdowns and 30 picks, that's a, a you know, shake it up in a bag. That's not a guy that's a good performer. That's a that's an uneven deal. You're not going to win championships uh, giving the football up 30 times. So find out from Drew Brees when he reads a defense, what is he looking at? You know, what's he looking at his first read, his second read, his third read? How does he progress through reading a defense? What does he see? What do you see on the play? And then tell him what you saw and why did he see this when you saw that? That's where Jameis Winston can really learn and progress. Now, if he takes this and sits back and sulks and doesn't really take this as a learning opportunity, it's not going to help him or the Saints. But if he goes into this saying, you know, I'm playing behind arguably one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks that's ever played. And when he ends it, he'd probably be ranked up there uh, as he is right now with the highest numbers in terms of percentages and all that yardage and all that. Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer. So when you have the opportunity to sit there and learn from a guy like that and you don't do it, I mean, it'd be like Warren Buffett saying, hey, come over. I want to talk to you about your family finances. I mean, you're going to run at that. Uh, you want to hear from the guy that knows how to do it. And be like E.F. Hutton, every time he spoke, you need to listen. So if Jameis takes it from that standpoint as to what it is, maybe he's handing the baton to him for next year when he retires and goes to the uh, booth. Drew Brees can absolutely help take this kid and develop him into a top-line quarterback. And you say, well, how did that work? Look at Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy B is now in Carolina. What did he do last year? Watching Drew Brees improving himself after his his injury, he went 5-0. and And if you saw Teddy Bridgewater, you saw a guy like a lump of clay that just got better and better and better. He made better decisions than when he first started his career, and he was doing some great things. But that's part of, and I'm not saying all related to Drew Brees, but when you're in, the, in that uh, quarterback room with a Drew Brees, you're going to learn. And when he watches film with him, and Teddy Bridgewater was a great student of the game to learn from Drew Brees and then apply it when his number was called. And look what he did, 5-0. and Now he parlays that into a big-time contract with the Carolina Panthers, with Matt Rule. Now, offensively, you add in Christian McCaffrey and some of the pieces that he has. And this offense for the Panthers looks to be on the premises of something taking off, it looks like he's going to skyrocket offensively because Rule loves to throw the football. Teddy B can throw the football. He can run. He's got some good weapons around him. They've got good defense now. This Carolina Panthers, while I'm not ready to say Super Bowl bound, they're going to be marketably improved. And I think Teddy Bridgewater is just what the doctor ordered for Matt Rule in this offense because he can throw the football. He protects the football, unlike Jameis Winston, who – while he put up good numbers from a yardage standpoint, gave it away 30 times. You can't win ball games giving the football up 30 times in a season. You just can't do it. Yeah, he threw 30 touchdowns, but the 50-50 situation of equal, you know, that if you go 30 touchdowns and eight interceptions, okay, exceptional year. 30 and 30, no, just not acceptable. So Bruce Arians, enough of that situation. I've got Tom Brady here now. And I'm going to take this team to the next level. Just watch 
not only the win total of Tampa Bay, but the performance level of Tampa Bay is going to incrementally go over up every week because of the fact that Brady is protecting the football. Whereas Winston kind of just went by the seat of his pants and threw it out there. Whether he had a good read or whether he didn't, he didn't perform well all the time when he had to. So once again, a good Jameis, bad Jameis situation there. But Teddy Bridgewater is in a perfect situation in Carolina. He's got a great fan base there, got a great support staff, a brand new head coach that has said, hey, you're my guy. So from day one, Teddy Bridgewater has the opportunity to take this team special places. I think he will. I'm not saying Super Bowl right away, but if you add a few more pieces to this Carolina offense and defense over the next year or so, they could definitely contend for a playoff slash Super Bowl opportunity. I think they're going to be that good because they're getting better. Unfortunately, here in Washington, you know, there's one more Carolina quarterback that we don't know what he's going to do. That's Cam Newton. I keep asking, hey, if you hear anything in the league right now, very quiet on Cam Newton because, of course, New England looks like they've closed the door on that situation, but Washington still could make it happen. And I think right now the veteran presence is what we need here in D.C., but it uh, hopefully is going to happen. Ron Rivera has the number. It's just a matter of he's going to dial it and if the price is too high or if they can afford it. Uh, give us a call, 804-327-0888. 804-327-0888 is the number. Coming right back, you're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, sports fans. This is National High School recruiting football expert Tom Lemming. You may have seen me in the movie The Blind Side. You are listening to a guy I've given the five-star rating to. It's Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. You're listening to the man who thinks that Velcro is nothing more than a ripoff. The Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. Sports King on a Monday morning, heading to the noon o'clock hour with the legend himself, Jim Rome, Los Angeles, California, the site, the jungle with Jim. He will take over at noon. Of course, this morning, 8 to 10, the Big Al Show, Sports Phone with Ben Maitland. Don't want to miss that. It's live as well, and we take over at 10 to noon. Big Al said something so succinct this morning, and I echo his comments about the UFC and the brutality of the actual contest, and I watched this weekend, and I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I love hockey. I love the fighting of hockey. I love the fighting in the UFC. I do think they should tweak it a little bit. Headgear, in my opinion, would be a welcome addition. I still think the brutality of the sport is there. I still think you can have the big hits. But I think to protect these guys, the Big Al said, you know, 10 years from now, will they be able to know their own name? To that point, it came out today that Tony Ferguson, who lost – the main event to Justin Gaethy, uh, who's just absolutely an amazing striker, a big hook guy uh, in 249. The injury came out, and it says that Ferguson, and I believe it may have been on one of the last punches that he absorbed because he shook his head. Uh, it looked like he absolutely uh, was devastated with his blow, 
that he took to end the fight. And it, indeed, it looks like it was an orbital bone fracture, which he has suffered, uh, announced this morning. Of course, injury sources say will require surgery, but it hasn't been scheduled. Ferguson was discharged from a Jacksonville, Florida hospital early Monday. Uh, the only major injury he suffered in the fight was the orbital fracture, as if that wasn't enough. He lost a lot of blood and damage for almost five consecutive rounds. Gaethje defeated Ferguson via fifth-round TKO, TKO to win the interim UFC lightweight championship. The loss snapped Ferguson's 12-fight winning streak. I will go on record saying this. Very few times, if ever, in my life I've ever seen a man take a beating the way that Tony Ferguson took a beating. The fact that he stood up after these hellacious hooks he was taking to the head and somehow found a way to keep his balance. Many times looked like he was going to slip. And, you know, by the way, I think during and between rounds, they should have somebody, you know, like they do in the NBA, where they come out and clean up the wet spots. Of course, there's blood all over the ring, which I know from an optic standpoint is what they might want. But you think guys would come in with a um, mop or something and at least try to clean it up to where guys aren't slipping on the blood, which happened during the fight. But I guess that's part of the blood sport. So I don't know anything about that in terms of what they're hygiene aspect is but these guys were just a couple of them throughout these fights were bleeding so profusely all over themselves and i'm thinking to myself you know you know this is absolutely as brutal as it gets but this beating that ferguson took with a fractured orbital bone uh wasn't the only uh big thing that i mean this guy had uh, both of his eyes were swollen shut um just absolutely looked like he'd been through a meat grinder and so it left me really thinking about this young man's future. And they say this orbital bone fracture is going to require surgery. So you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to get that fixed because I'm in the UFC. I'm going to let it heal. And then I'm going to jump right back in that octagon and go through this again. I mean, I know these guys are fighters. That's what they're made of. But at some point you got to say to yourself, if you're really reflective and watch what he did and what he went through in this fight on Saturday night, if you're a family member or somebody that cares for this guy, Tony Ferguson, you need to say to him, man, you've had one heck of a career, but you need to be able to know your name in another few years. And if you take another beating like that, you won't. And I'm not trying to be uh, full of hyperbole here when I say this, folks. It was absolutely one of the worst beatings I've ever seen a man take. And I literally had to cringe and look away multiple times because I couldn't believe what this man had endured during a five-round fight. It was just absolutely barbaric in terms of the beating he took. To his credit, he stood there and took it. And a lot of people were like, wow, you know, he's a warrior. But at the same time, uh, sometimes you need to just tap it out and say, you know what, I'm going to come back because he didn't have a chance in this one. It looked like he was continually uh, just on the rebound trying to just, you know, withstand the beating he took. And for him, from a heroic standpoint, I guess you can say I really stood in there and toughed it out, but it's one of those things where at what cost? So that's the situation. Tony Ferguson just really left me speechless in terms of the beating he took. I don't know about you guys. If you saw it, you can give us a call. 804-327-0888 is the number. This UFC fight uh, really well viewed. I mean, the numbers they say for the buys overall was up tremendously because of the coronavirus. People are home now, of course, watching events and so this was something live without fans i mean from a standpoint of the optics of the fights themselves uh it was no shortage of fans so 
interesting situation there. Logan Ryan says the Titans, in terms of the NFL, never, never try to bring him back. The veteran defensive back said the Tennessee Titans didn't offer him a contract during free agency this offseason. He spent the past three years trying to turn things around for the Titans, but he won't be back to finish the deal. He's an excellent player. He went on to say he's just a business, and he went on uh, to speak with Devin and Jason McCourty's double coverage podcast. Uh, of course, they're all Rutgers alums. He said, Tennessee never really offered me a contract. They never talked extension or free agency. They never really tried to bring me back. Uh, Ryan is 29 years of age. He's told by the Titans that he would uh, be monitored and throughout the market, but he said he'd probably get more offers elsewhere in terms of money. That's what happened. The Titans have had more than 20 players with expiring contracts, including quarterback Ryan Tannehill and NFL leading rusher Derrick Henry. Ryan played an integral part of last year's team that made a surprising postseason run to the AFC title game. His stat line last season was highlighted by four and a half sacks, four interceptions, four forced fumbles. Ryan joined Adrian Wilson of the Cardinals and Thomas Davis of the Panthers as the only player since 2000 to record at least four sacks, four interceptions, and four forced fumbles in a season. Despite starting all 16 games and being the primary slot cornerback for the Titans, he wasn't in their future plans. The Titans exercised the fifth-year option for cornerback Adore Jackson, which means he'll be a Titan through 2021. So here's the situation when you look at, uh, you know, a player that is really held in high regard in terms of performance, and you look at a guy like Logan Ryan that, you know, the Redskins, you know, you wonder to yourself, would they bring him in? Would they look at Logan Ryan as a guy that could come in and help shore up the defense? I think – uh, when you look at the stat lines of what he did last year, he's a player that is an impact guy. So the skin should look at, hey, is there a way we can get this guy in here? Is there a way that he can help us? He's a veteran guy. He spent uh, quite a bit of time with the Titans, of course, doing great things. But you wonder, at 29 years of age, the Redskins need some impact guys back there. His stat line, as I said, was highlighted by four and a half sacks, four interceptions, four forced fumbles. So from a coaching standpoint, when you watch the tape on this guy, and I have, you have to say he's an active guy. He knows how to get to the ball. He knows how to turn the ball over. He knows how to make plays on the defensive side of the ball. And so you're wondering, hey, why don't we go after this guy? Why don't we make a run at him? Because he would be a great addition for the Redskins in terms of their secondary. He's a name guy. He's a guy that might cost a little bit, but the value is there. So if I'm the Redskins, I say, what can I do to get him in here? I know we're going to have to pay the guy, but is the value there? And at 29, I think the value is definitely there. So a situation in terms of a guy that could come into the locker room and help you from day one, he could definitely help you get better in terms of what you're doing as far as a product, but also from a team standpoint, a good teammate, a guy that's a good athlete, a guy that's going to help you get better, uh, just by his presence, he's a veteran guy. So I say, if you can, Logan Ryan would be a guy that I would circle and say, let's get this guy in here. Let's see what we can do in terms of you know, getting our team better. He's that type of player, and he'd be somebody to be a welcome addition to the Redskins locker room. So that's the situation there. To start the show, we talked about the fact that NCAA Mark, uh, President Mark Everett talked about the students. He said, if no students are on campus, no student athletes are on campus. Now, I know that's his hardline stance, saying that that's the way it's going to be, but he doesn't really have a big say in things. It's going to be up to the governors. It's going to be up to the uh, folks that are paid to make those decisions. But Everett, given his two cents, said basically no students, no student athletes. So uh, what's your take on that, 804-327-0888? Would you go back to the NFL? Would you go back to college football? 
I, for one, would if I knew the layout. And the problem right now that I have more than anything is the collective planning is not there. I know guys are trying to work on it. I know that they're trying to get things done from a standpoint of safety and so forth. But I want to see some detailed plans. And these are smart folks at these high-level situations. They need to get in there and come up with a plan that's going to best protect people. And it might be a limited return, but a return nonetheless. I want to let you know in terms of college football, speaking of college football, college football recruiting commitments have absolutely exploded despite the situation with the coronavirus. Uh, If you look online, there's so much going on in terms of the college coaches getting on with the Zoom meetings, the go-to meetings, all of the things out there in terms of getting players to sign letters of intent and at least show interest. But uh, everything that's surrounding the pitch right now from the college coaches has changed in terms of the interactions. And, of course, the coronavirus is allowing nobody to meet in person, but they're doing a lot of video stuff. Iowa recruiting, for one, is thriving. Seven known verbal commitments since the suspension of on-campus recruiting in a projected signing class ranks just behind Clemson and Florida among the best nationally. The success dwarfs the Hawkeyes' pace during the same time last year when the staff landed just two verbal commitments under more optimal recruiting conditions. The biggest thing was we weren't going to panic and alter the way we were doing things or who we are, said Tyler Barnes, Iowa's director of recruiting. Here's the situation for Iowa. Certain teams and their coaches are doing such a great job in terms of video recruiting that they're winning the game right now. And so in a coronavirus situation, it's helped Iowa because their coaches are getting to know the players better and they're getting more commitments that way versus going the old way where you would travel and visit and so forth. So Iowa has found a way, and they're really doing well in terms of the in-person contact that is typically divine springtime recruiting. The explosive growth of recent recruiting trend and the fear of missing out on the top players is something that most colleges are trying to work around. More than 600 prospects in the 2021 class have verbally committed to FBS programs, doubling the number of commitments at this point a year ago and exceeding the combined total of this point from the past two recruiting cycles. Power 5 programs have also accounted for 286 commitments since on-campus recruiting was suspended. 14 programs in the Power 5 have at least seven verbal commitments during this period, while 85% have added multiple commitments. So you're in a situation now with technology, and it's definitely helped the coaching staffs that have taken advantage of it. And here's the deal. Iowa is at the forefront. Uh, When you go to the top of the list now because you're doing something right, the folks that are behind the scenes doing the uh, FaceTiming and the Zoom meetings and so forth are really working overtime at certain universities, and they're jumping ahead of others. If one school is not technically sound and doesn't have good people in their uh, departments in terms of the IT side that are thinking outside of the box, the teams that are thinking outside of the box are the ones like Iowa that have really jumped up and grabbed some top recruits because think about it. If you're a college kid now, other than working out and watching a lot of TV and going out on your own, you spend a lot of time with a computer more than you've ever spent before. So if you got a college coach and you're a recruit and you're getting inundated with uh, stuff from Iowa, 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 and you see and learn more about their coaches, you're like, you know what? 
I'm thinking Ames is not a bad place or any of the Iowa City places that you go to are not great, you know, not bad places. You know, Iowa State and Ames and you got Iowa and all the folks there, they're now thinking outside the box and they're going to draw top players in because they're beating other schools to the punch. So UVA, Virginia Tech, they have to do the same thing. All these schools are looking for that, you know, that guy that's going to put them over the top or those guys are going to put them over the top. And right now it's going to be the schools to put the extra time on the IT side of things. And it's the whole new world right now recruiting. And the Iowas of the world have now jumped up and, hey, they got a top five class in principle in terms of what they're doing. But uh, with 600 prospects in 2021 already signing, you better get ahead of this quickly if you're a coaching staff because if not, you're going to fall by the wayside. It's going to cost you big time. So right now it's all about the meetings, the Zoom meetings, the go-to meetings, the FaceTime, and the Iowa coaching staff and many of the schools that are doing it the right way are really winning the battle online because right now that's all you have. So it's all going to be that situation right there in terms of that. Uh, Bud Foster, the outstanding defensive coordinator, who was a guest uh, in the past few weeks on the Sports King show, said, hey, he thinks it could be a college football season. It might be pushed off to the spring, but he is hopeful for a college football season nonetheless, as we are as well. So that's it right now. Recruiting's heating up on the Internet. If you are a team in need of top recruits, you better get it right because you swing and miss on this one. It'll set your program back. Going to take a timeout, come back with the final 15 minutes of the Sports King Show on this Monday morning on Sports 1061. Hi, this is number five, former Washington Capitals captain Rod Langway. And you are listening to Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we're in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid. Because now is an opportunity to do something heroic. We realize that this is the time to organize a blood drive, help our elderly neighbors with groceries, and assist local nonprofits. And that's exactly what CMA's Colonial Honda is doing. In fact, we set up a helpline to assist people in our community in any way that we can. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, you can reach our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Again, our CMA helpline is 434-220-8885. And of course, if you're in need of any automotive help, we are taking extra precautions to keep our dealership clean. To learn more, visit cmascolonialhonda.com. We applaud you for helping one another during this time. You have inspired us to do the same. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. The Sports King Studio Line is now open. If you got a sports question, thoughts on your mind about your favorite team, we'd love to hear from you at 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. And welcome back, Sports King. Ten minutes to go until we head out to Los Angeles. Jim Rome in the jungle on deck. Of course, when he read this, he said like Quagmire, giggity, from Ben Maitland. When he saw that NASCAR was returning on the 17th, this coming Sunday, May 17th, a giggity moment for Ben Maitland. Exactly. Darlington Raceway will have a race. It will serve as the first of seven races over an 11-day span at two different racetracks throughout May. The sanctioning body announced this past week 
The race at the historic South Carolina track will be held without fans in attendance and is slated to be NASCAR's first on-track action in more than two months as a sport and the world in general have been on pause due to the coronavirus pandemic. The May 17th race is a 400-miler scheduled for 3.30, and uh, this is going to be Eastern time on Fox. It'll be live on MRN, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio. It'll also be the first of three races at the track, including a second Cup Series race held midweek under the lights three days later. The May schedule also includes the Crown Jewel Coca-Cola 600 in a traditional Memorial Day weekend home for the 60th consecutive uh, season, plus midweek races in prime time. So you got Ben Maitland, you've got his Coors Light, which is cooling right now to the proper temperature as he gets ready for Sunday. And I promise you, folks, he's going to be there. If he watches the iRacing stuff and the e-racing stuff and all the simulated stuff, you know he's going to be there uh, this coming Sunday to watch this race at Darlington. Now, when you look at the schedule, the proposed schedule, of course, you get the Cup Series Darlington this Sunday, 400-miler. Then Tuesday the 19th, you get the Xfinity Series, Darlington, 200 miles. Wednesday the 20th, you get the Cup Series, Darlington, 500 kilometers. Uh, Sunday, May 24th, the Cup Series in Charlotte, 600 miles. Uh, then on Monday the 25th, the Xfinity Series in Charlotte, 300 miles. Uh, Tuesday, May 26th, the Gander Truck Series, uh, Charlotte, 200 miles. And then closing things out the 27th of May, uh, the Cup Series, Charlotte, 500 kilometers there when you look at this nascar and its teams are so eager and excited to return to racing and have a great respect for the responsibility that comes with a return to competition said steve o'donnell the nascar executive vice president and chief racing development officer he went on to say nascar will return in an environment that will ensure safety of all the competitors officials and all those in the local community we thank local state and federal officials and medical experts as well as everyone in the industry for the unprecedented support in our return to racing and we look forward to joining our passionate fans and watching cars return to the track. So here's the deal. This coming weekend, NASCAR, just like the UFC, will be done without fans. What do you think of that? I mean, it's one of those things where you get what you want, but you don't get it the way you want it. I mean, you're going to be watching the rubbing, the racing, the excitement of NASCAR and seeing the drivers out there and seeing the guys in the pit, seeing the folks in the race teams there but you won't get to see the fans and hear the fans, the excitement of the race from a fan's perspective. But sitting at home, I think many of you that watch the sport are more watching, of course, the race than the fan reaction. A fan reaction is great in the uh, victory lane celebration. We love seeing all that, which I'm sure they can still do with their teams, but it's just going to be different than what we're used to. But the fact that NASCAR is following the UFC, is coming in with no fans. They're trying to give us a sense of life as we knew it. I applaud NASCAR. And here's the deal. I'm going on record. I'm not the biggest NASCAR in the world. Nowhere near what Ben Maitland is. He loves NASCAR. But I'll tune in on the 17th. I want to watch it because it's live. It's an action sport. It's something happening to where you can cheer for something. And, folks, I want to cheer. And in the NASCAR world, I admire the NASCAR drivers and NASCAR teams. It is a tough sport in terms of winning. Uh, when you look at all the great racers that have come through and the effort they put into, and this is a team sport, even though you only have one guy behind the steering wheel, without those other guys in the pits, you don't win. You have to have a great pit crew. You have to have a great uh, crew leader. You have to have everything, and it all has to work in perfect uh, synchronization in order to win at the NASCAR level. So this set, this Sunday, 
the 17th. Don't forget, mark your calendar, 3.30 Eastern Time, Darlington, the site. And it's going to be without fans, but it's going to be plenty of excitement there. And I know people cannot wait for this. And it's just one of those things where you say, hey, guess what? we got something really to look forward to, and we got a sense of normalcy coming back. So we're excited for NASCAR and Ben Maitland, who will be watching, uh, maybe with his dad, by the way. Uh, they love watching that stuff together, so uh, it'll be exciting to see. And uh, it's going to be an exciting event, of course, NASCAR returning. And they are so excited there. So some of the top stories we worked on, of course, uh, the Last Dance recap. I hope you've been watching that. If you haven't, if a lot of people are taping it, please watch it. Of course, a 10-part documentary on MJ and the Bulls. It continues Sunday at 9 p.m. And it's something that I found can't miss television. I just, you know, you hear some of the language. Of course, you say to yourself, MJ, that's the guy that drank the Gatorade and sold the shoes. He, he doesn't cuss, does he? He doesn't get upset. When you look beneath the surface and you see behind the scenes, you pull the screen back. As Andrea Kramer said, nobody's as perfect as they try to portray his image to be. And I admired him because he demanded excellence, not only from himself. And the one thing he said more than anything that I took away from the documentary is no matter what anybody thought of me, I would never ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do. In other words, I would do anything to win and I never ask anybody around me to do anything that I wouldn't do. And so, yes, I did get on players. Yes, I did say things that were not always the easiest to hear. He intimidated guys. He at times got in people's faces, came to blows with teammates, but he wanted guys around him that he could trust that would win when they had to win the most. And MJ got the most out of his teammates. And, of course, the proof is in the pudding. He got thrown out of uh, practice for fighting Steve Kerr by Phil Jackson. He ended up calling and apologizing, but he earned Steve Kerr, earned his uh, stripes basically and earned the respect of MJ, and they went on to do great things together. But he wanted players that he could count on as much as himself, and he demanded excellence. And so all of those guys, no matter what they say about Michael Jordan, they can walk away and say that they learned so much from him about winning. It'll carry over into everyday life because of the excellence that he demanded of himself he demanded of others. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sports King Show. We thank you for joining us. Of course, we're live every day from 10 a.m. to noon right here on Sports 106.1, Facebook Live as well. Also, Big Al in the morning, you want to join him and Ben Maitland. That's 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. live every morning, uh, Monday through Friday. And, of course, following me, it's Jim Rome in Los Angeles. Don't want to miss that as he has a great show on tap uh, from Los Angeles in the jungle, Jim Rome, right after we're off the air here. And, of course, Ben Maitland doing outstanding work for both Big Al and myself back in the studio and he's excited for Sunday as the return of NASCAR to Darlington. Also want to let you know, of course, the US, UFC had an impressive return uh, Sunday night. The record numbers, they say, for the people that bought the event. If you're one of them, of course, you saw an amazing final with uh, Tony Ferguson taking the loss there. But uh, one of those things that uh, we're excited to see something back. We're starting to get a little bit back, folks. They're given to us in, in drips and drabs, but we'll take it. We'll take anything. And, of course, it's something that uh, we're looking forward to. So uh, those are some of the top stories, of course. The NCAA, wondering if students are going to be allowed back just for classes. And beyond that, uh, Mark Emmerich said, the NCAA president said, if no students are on campus, there will be no student athletes on campus. So hopefully, you know, something can be worked out so we can get this back. That's going to wrap up our show today. We thank you for joining us on Facebook Live and Sports 106.1. For the outstanding producer, Ben Maitland, I'm Jamie King, reminding you to donate blood if you can, give to your neighbors, be kind to one another, and if you can, uh, do whatever you can to help enrich the lives of other folks. For Ben Maitland, I'm Jamie King. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow for another edition of the Sports King Show.